This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 72 of Press Pass, brought to you by Bet Online AG. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. I woke up this morning, Joshua, and just the sun is out, so that's a good thing. But I just am feeling a little bit of anxiety at this point. And I know you feel the same way. We've been sharing articles on Twitter, um, a lot of things going around. But first of all, how has your week been? How are you doing? Week was good. Um, I got to a point last week where about midweek, I had sat on every piece of furniture in my house that I could possibly sit on to the point where I was sitting on the floor watching TV just because I hadn't viewed the TV from that angle. Um, so it's it's getting there for me. And I know a lot of people are there as well. So uh, I definitely feel for you, but I'm still keeping my distance, still trying to be safe and uh, you mm-hmm. know, still trying to generate some good content out here. Oh, I did want to mention, because remember I was talking about, first of all, did you finish Tiger King? Yeah, you know what? I just I just said no. I, I couldn't you do just, it. Okay, it couldn't do it. for me. He couldn't get through Tiger King. Um, I will recommend, because you probably will appreciate this, um, it is more of a documentary movie, and it's out on HBO called The Scheme, um, and it has to do with everything that the NCAA tried to do with catching coaches um, doing the, the player pay. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It, it focuses in on the guy that they tried to frame for everything or set up for everything, um, the FBI. And so it is um, something you probably would like. Interesting. I, yeah, uh, so- I, I heard about it. Somebody told me about it. They, they just said to check it out. They didn't really tell me what it was about. But yeah. that definitely sounds like something I'd be into. Oh, you'd like it. And he is all the guy that, that's kind of the center of all of this. You grow to like him as um, he, he kind of is the bad guy in a way with how the FBI tried to go after him. But if you really like to hear his story, um, he is all four pair, uh, players getting paid, by the way. Love um, it. And I think you'd really like him. Smart guy. And it's a very interesting documentary. So I recommend the scheme to you and anybody else out there who is interested in that whole situation. Okay, well, let's get right into it because we were talking about some of the articles that have come out in the past couple of days. And there was one just recently that you had sent to me pretty much saying there is a good possibility that this football season could now be played 
during the 2021 springtime. Is that correct, Joshua? Is, I'm, am I, I'm, yes. Yeah. Yep. And that and that scares you. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting married. Right. Uh, during that time. And, and aside from all of our personal things, I mean, I just can't even, I guess my brain can't go there yet. No, it's, it's tough. And the article, uh, basically what it said is that if, um, if universities can't figure out a way to get students back on campus, then obviously they can't bring the student athletes back either. Um, yeah. And that'll push the schedule back. And essentially what it's saying is schools like Ohio State, for example, um, have, have vowed to do their summer session online. So they're not having students on campus, which is a wise move at this point. Um, University of Oklahoma has stated that They've suspended all on-campus operations until at least uh, July 31st. Yep. Um, so that's right up against the training camp um, start date. So uh, with things like that going on and kind of not a ton of direction in terms of, you know, modeling and where we know this thing is going and what to do when you get that many people in in an area at once, they're trying to look at contingency plans for the football season. And it seems like spring would be the, the alternative. Now that becomes interesting to me for a couple of reasons. And I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this is number one spring. We're just not used to it. Uh, But if they play it in the spring, does that mean they play a shortened season? And then what happens to fall of 2021 if they play in the spring, because it's not a lot of downtime and recovery. So I'd be curious to see how that works out. Well, that's, that was my first question. I mean, that is that is exactly where my mind went because I was, first of all, trying to do the math on like days in between, you know, how would this even play out for a full season? There's no way it could be a full season. They would have to do something with the schedule to reduce it because here's the thing. You can't continue to push back everything in the future for what's going on right at this moment. And the only way to, you know, do that is to either shorten the seasons or cancel a season altogether, which I know that they are not looking to do right now. But I just, and and this is another article that you had brought up to me, I think about it in the way that how much money these programs bring in to their universities, and they're going to do everything they can to play some sort of season because the amount of money that's going to be lost is really mind blowing, and I know you you had sent that particular article too, and it was um, focusing on Michigan a lot and and their what their losses could be. Yeah, it was uh, it's really unique, and I'm trying to pull up the number right now um, just so I can have it on hand. But yeah, Michigan Jim Harbaugh's program accounted for nearly seventy percent of the one hundred and seventy five million dollar revenue the athletic department generated in 2018-2019. Then it says without a season, Michigan's net loss for football alone could approach $100 million. Now, for Michigan State, they said that estimated loss could be about $60 million, which is probably more in line with some of the like name brands, but not, you know, Mm -hmm. truly blue blood schools. But even when you look at um, Iowa State, their athletic director said, that they would be they would have a little bit of a conundrum too because they get 12 million off of guaranteed ticket sales for this year that they already yeah. had um that they might have to return and then 40 million dollars comes from um conference payout in the NCAA related to football. So mm-hmm. um when you're looking at them they're right around the same thing that Michigan State is at about 60 million bucks 
worth of money that they would be missing out on. And and that's where most of these athletic departments are at. And you take it a step further. Um, some athletic departments are saying that uh, if they can't play football, the next year they would have to get rid of sports to the point where it would only be football, men's basketball, and then they would have uh, three or four women's sports to go along with that. Um, that would be devastating for the landscape of college athletics um, because so much is predicated off of the football revenue. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it. I can't. It's hard to to grasp that, even talking about that right now. Let me throw an idea out there. And I know that you did say, and, and this is clearly what they have to think about first, is you know you, you can't really do anything yet until you're able to bring people back on campus. Um, now, if they are able to do that, could you start the season with a plan of we're going to test players uh, because we can? you know, because you're, you're obviously, you're able to do that. I know it's a lot more with football than, than basketball or some other sports, but we, we can play a game and start the season off playing, you know, like we were going to play, but we just don't have fans in the stadium at first to start with. Could that be a possibility? I, I think it would be interesting if we got to a place where we were doing that, and and let me bring this into the conversation too, is if we have coaches who are advocating for a football season, but we don't have fans in the stadium, that means we likely don't have students on campus as well. So mm-hmm. now that brings into the conversation something I love bringing up is that would absolutely point to the fact that these student athletes are completely different than everybody else. And financially, they should be treated as such because now you're, you're drawing a hard line oh, yeah. where, you know, students are on campus and maybe they're taking online classes and everything, but you have your student athletes on campus. Like that's basically like going to a job. Like they would be considered like essential workers at that that's point. What I was just gonna say. And, and so I, I think that dichotomy is interesting. If you're the NCAA, you want to prevent at any moment um, having student athletes on campus without having the rest of the student population there. Because that absolutely becomes a big part of the conversation. But I think at that point, it's fair to acknowledge that aspect of the conversation because the reason you would do that is for the money and the money alone. Like I was saying, Michigan could stand to lose $100 million. It's not a small sum. The NCAA is already hurting. They couldn't pay out um, their member uh, schools their full amounts this year just because they didn't play the NC2A basketball tournament. And so when we have this conversation about can we bring these cats on campus, can we play the games, the conversation is not just because people want to be entertained. It's because the universities and the NCAA would stand to lose a lot of money by not playing football. Um, And and as long as we're having that conversation, I think it's fair to say, all right, well, what about the people that we might put at risk by playing this game? How do we compensate them fairly for for having to live like, uh, you know, having to be an exception from what everybody else is doing? Yeah, and that's the thing. That's what makes this so complex. It's not just one simple answer to any of this, which also brings me to the point of let's not have so many mouths talking right now. Let's not have so many people out there with different reports because now it's starting to get to the point where, I mean, I feel it just with myself, my my anxiety level starting to go up a little more. The more reports I hear, the more Um, different people saying, hey, now this might be a long shot to have the season start on time. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm trying to be way optimistic about anything, but at the same time, there's like, there's just a ton of people talking and, you know, we don't know who to believe at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, basically in the last like 12 hours, I sent you four different articles yeah. and they're all kind of talking about different things and they're all four different voices. And I tend to agree with you. Like if I am the commissioner of uh, a conference, if I am a commissioner of the NCAA, what I'm telling my institutions is basically this, is there's going to be one voice on this issue and it's not going to be yours. So coaches, ADs, keep your mouth shut. They're going to ask questions, politely deflect. Um, but I like, for example, Dabo Swinney, um, you know, he's, he, he reminds me right now of, and he's been like this, so this, this isn't anything new, but a mega church pastor mm-hmm. because he's, you know, we're going to get through this and this thing's going to be gone soon. And, you know, basically we can pray this thing away and we can will it away. Um, and, you know, we put people on the moon so we can defeat this virus, which those two things have nothing to do with each other. And he's flying around on uh, a private jet to go to his house in Florida and to go back to his house in South Carolina. And essentially here you have a guy saying that the season's going to start on time and he's doing business as usual. He's traveling, he's doing his thing. Then you have ADs and coaches um, from other schools that are like, no, this thing might not even get started until the spring. Like we can't even say that we're going to bring our students on campus. We have no idea what's going on. And now as a public and as media members, we're very confused and there are a lot of voices. Uh, and like you said, there's a legitimate level of anxiety that comes along with taking in all this news. Like this morning, I must have sent you three articles alone. Yeah. And like like you just said, it was all different voices saying the three completely different things. I, I don't know. Okay, so for example, let's extrapolate this. Like the airline industry has been a pretty united voice um, at this point concerning the coronavirus and um, higher education when you take out the athletics essentially has been a unified voice like Liberty University is the only school that's doing things differently it seems like everybody else has figured out a way to unify and to have one voice and to deliver a singular message except college football and I believe that's an issue because so many people uh, they follow the news cycle and they depend on college football in the fall yeah, no, it's a, it's obviously one of the biggest sports uh, here in our country. And we are going to get a little bit deeper into what some of these coaches are saying, why some of them should just, to be frank here, shut their mouths right now. So that's a little bit later in the podcast. But first, uh, we don't have NBA, NHL, or MLB. So you might think there is nothing to bet on. Well, you would be wrong, my friend. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports events and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day, all online, uh, including their $750,000 poker series. So if you are into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on some of the TV shows, Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol going on, uh, stock prices, even the weather if you consider yourself a meteorologist, uh, visit their website and join today to receive 100% welcome bonus with that first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE, BetOnline, your online waging experts. So before we get into um, some of what the coaches are saying, I did want to bring up this segment because I really got some really crazy kind of, I guess, close to the source information this past week when I did an interview with former NFL quarterback and former ESPN analyst Trent Dilfer. He is now the head football coach 
at Lipscomb Academy here in Nashville, Tennessee, Joshua. And he, I don't know if you've ever met Trent. Some people don't like him, but I will tell you this. He is definitely a guy who, when he says something, he 100%, you know, believes it. Mm -hmm. And so when I spoke to him, while all the things that I had rolling in my head about Tua Valoa this year and where he'd be drafted and if he would be ready, he kind of changed my mind, Joshua. First of all, I want to hear your thoughts before I give you Trent's thoughts on if you think Tua Valoa should be a top five pick. Well, first off, let me say kudos to you on on getting that information and, and being able to nail that down. And, and that's exactly why I love working with you, first off, our friendship, but second off, just you know, the type of journalist you are and the type of media member, this is beautiful stuff. But um, do do I think he deserves to be a top five pick? Do I think he's earned it? Do I think uh, I would bet on his health on that one? Yes, I would probably lean toward selecting him in the top five. And I've kind of changed my pace on this a little bit. The injuries worry me, but I think the NFL is shifting to a place where if they can get a quarterback for six good years, they're fine. I, I don't think we're we're in a place anymore where we're going to see some of these 10, 15, you know, upwards of 20 years like Tom Brady careers. I think right. the NFL is looking for guys that they can use for five to eight years, maximize that, and then move on to the next quarterback. So a guy like him with his injury history, it's a little bit troublesome, but if you feel like you can maximize him on – a first round contract, you have a fifth year option you can pick up and then kind of let whatever happens after that happen. I think NFL teams are completely fine with that. Yeah, no. And that's a great point. I mean, everything, you know, changes and nothing ever is going to stay the same, especially in professional sports. We're always going to shift a little this way or that way. Um, And I guess you could look back at some past quarterbacks who have had injuries um, that end up you know, not being able to to finish out a pro career or even in the most part start it. And I always look to RG3 as one of those guys just because of some of the injuries he sustained throughout his college career. And that kind of continued um, throughout his professional career. But, you know, he is still playing. He's a backup, but he is still there. Um, so I will say this, I I was always skeptical about that just for some of the reasons that some of these players have set examples of like, that's what happens when you suffer injuries through college and then you get to the pros. But um, my, my, my mind has been changed a little bit after my conversation with Trent Dilfer. And so if you did not know, and this recently had just all come out, they kept it pretty under wraps for a while, but um, Tua Tungvaloa was actually up here in Nashville during the tornado. Okay. He has been here training with Trent Dilfer at Lipscomb Academy for over probably two months now. And Trent, first of all, said he was pretty much in the middle of the tornado um, in one of you know the areas that he was staying. So first of all, that was just like incredible news to me. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> uh, kind of amazing that flew under the radar. Right? I mean, none of us knew about this. And and at first I had to say, like, is this the same guy we're talking about here? But yeah, so Tua has been up here training with Trent for a while now. 
They actually met when Tua was 17 years old at Trent's Elite 11 camp, and that's obviously a camp for quarterbacks that he has been doing for a while. He's been working with a lot of quarterbacks um, on the side. So he said when they met, they kind of had a connection right away, and they kept in touch while Tua was at Alabama. Uh, Lane Kiffin is the one that really got him there, and um, Trent is friends with Kiffin. So they kept in touch over those years at Alabama, and Trent pretty much said he was a set, another set of ears for Tua, just to go to, to have, you know, get advice from. But it was really Tua's parents who took a liking to Trent and really trusted him. So when this whole draft process began and Tua started to prepare for the draft while he was also um, trying to get back to health with the hip, it was um, Diane and Galu Tungatabu. Tungavaloa, who reached out to Trent and asked him to help train him during this time, which I thought was very interesting because if you know the Polynesian background, they are very family related. They don't let a lot of people in, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, you really have to have that trust with those um, families to be able to, to um, have access to their, um, you know, to their sons or daughters or whatever it may be. So I first of all thought that was interesting because Trent says he does not like to get involved with that stuff when it comes to the draft process, um, just because he has a lot of connections in the business. He doesn't like to step on anyone's toes, but he said this was an exception. So he says he had been training with Tua over the last couple of months now. And to make a long story short, the injuries that he has had, First of all, he has had more than one, but this hip one was the the latest one where a lot of people were saying when it first happened that he might not ever play again, um, let alone play in the NFL. And so Trent has come out and pretty much said he is progressing like no other. He said that what he has worked on with him in the last several weeks, especially he is pretty much fine-tuned already, like a Maserati is what he said. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this is his exact words. He hasn't made any big changes. Instead, he has helped to become more efficient with his movements so that he can stay healthy and compete for a starting job in the NFL. Here's the thing. He has had full clearance to go. That was three weeks ago. So by doctors, he was saying, they said, we're giving you the green light. You can, you can do everything. But Trent went as far as saying he is better now on April 1st, when I talked to Trent, than he was the day before his injury. This is what he said about, I mean, this is information that just was blowing my mind. And again, you can, you can say whatever you want about Trent, but I have, I have done multiple stories on him, and I will say he doesn't just come out and say something if he doesn't believe it. Right. And that's what shocked me is that, you know, he is ultimately saying that this hip injury, he is healed from, um, and he looks better than he's ever looked before, Joshua. It's, it's unique. And, um, you know, if, if I would have heard that from, you know, a head coach, for example, Nick Saban, or his quarterback coach at Alabama, you would say maybe these guys are – you know, trying to help their guy out to get drafted as high as possible. And, you know, they're, you know, they're fluffing him up. And, but for, for Trent to do that, and he's a guy, obviously, like you said, he's got a ton of connections, so he would never want to burn those bridges, but he's also a media voice and you don't want to lose credibility just in case he ever wants to get back into media at a high clip. So for him to make those types of comments, you got to feel like they're pretty accurate. And 
it's I don't necessarily think it's a surprise. Like I, I think the the how rapidly he's gotten back is a surprise, but the fact that he has gotten back is not a surprise. I think the question now is going to be, you know, once somebody falls in love with him and, and drafts him, how can he stay healthy? Can he yeah. take those little tweaks that Trent was talking about um, and work on those mechanics so he can he can play more efficiently, so he can keep his body out of harm's way. Um, but I think that is amazing. I, I think it's absolutely great. I'm, I'm glad to hear it, honestly, because he's a player that I really enjoyed watching. And I yeah. felt like was really humble and a great leader. But man, that is, that is a, that's ridiculous. It's amazing. Yeah. It, and it, I did want to add this in too, because, you know, you always think the first thoughts, oh, are they trying to boost up this player? Well, he also told me, you know, yeah, I, he goes, I'll say straight up. I probably look like a Tua Tungvaloa cheerleader 100%. He said, but this is stuff that's, you know, these are facts that I've been working with this guy for two months now, and I wouldn't say this. And he goes, and really a big reason why you haven't heard a lot about it until just this past week is they tried to keep a lot of this under the wraps because sure. he said Tua is not the type of guy. And we all know this, again, going on um, back to the Polynesian background, I covered Marcus Mariota too and went to school with Jason Gesser. Th- this is a... Um, this is a culture that doesn't like to boast themselves. They're not mm-hmm. about themselves. And Tua is not that kind of guy who likes the attention. He didn't even want to go on and do interviews with anybody last week about it. But, you know, eventually it does come out. So that makes me think even more, this isn't about trying to boost Tua. No. I, you know? I was about to say, I think, I think part of it is, you know, his camp at some point is like, hey, you got to make some noise, especially since um, they can't do team visits and everything. And people are going to be wondering about his health. But like you said, he's he's never been a guy who who liked to brag. So I, I agree with that 100 percent. Like, I feel like that makes it even more genuine considering the source, but also considering who the source is talking about. That combination to me is just like, OK, they're going to want to put out steady information, let people know that two is ready to go. But um, they don't want to be over the top because that's just not how two was built. That's not the thread he's cut from. Yeah. So I'm glad that we were able to discuss this on the podcast. I just think it's such valuable information in terms of if you are interested in, you know, what's going on in the draft, what what could happen. So if you do want to check out that full interview with Trent Dilfer, it's actually on my station's website, WKRN.com right now. Just Trent. Type in in the search button, Trent Dilfer, and it'll pop up. He really says some spectacular stuff in there um, and gives you a real behind-the-scenes look at what's been going on with their training. So um, cool that we got to discuss that. Let's get into coaches and COVID-19. Let's start with Dabo Sweeney and where we left off because you had mentioned Dabo up in our first segment. And look, I've met Dabo. I've interviewed Dabo. I appreciate Dabo's enthusiasm as a coach when it comes to football and how he motivates his players. Okay. That's, that's something separate. What I have an issue with right now is making that separate from real life reality. What's going on outside of football? What's the bigger issue in our country right now? And that is fighting this pandemic and flattening the curve. And to me, Dabo Sweeney coming out this earlier this week with the Raw Raw Attitude article saying pretty much giving his players nothing but hope, you know, in terms of starting the season on time. That's all that we're, you know, that's all that's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And then coming out and saying, oh, yeah, and I, I'm going to Florida and I'm probably going to go back from Easter. I'm on my private plane. I don't care what plane you're on. That's setting a bad example. 
it, it's showing that you're not abiding by what things are telling you to abide by right now. And if anything, it's showing that you're elite and you're above other people that you can just go to Florida and hang out right now while other people are struggling to make a paycheck and stuck in their one bedroom apartment. I'm sorry. I have an issue with that. Yeah. And I, I, I got a, I got a bone to pick with this cat anyway. Um, I just don't love some of the things that he says in regards to student athletes, but um, he, he basically said, I have zero doubt we're going to play. And he says, this is America. We stormed the beaches of Normandy. We sent a car and drove around Mars. We walked on the moon, the greatest people in the greatest country in the history of the planet. We created the iPhone. I can sit here and talk to you, all you people in all these different places. We got the smartest people in the world. Listen, we're going to rise up and kick this thing right in the teeth. And I, I think there is positivity, which we should all be trying to spread right now because this is rough for a lot of people. But I also think that there is overconfidence and I think that there is fantasy. And that's kind of where he's at right now. And as a coach, um, he's got to be a cheerleader for a lot of different things in recruiting. You've got to be a, a front man. You've got to be a cheerleader. Uh, when, when it comes to motivating your team, I understand that. But when it comes to science and when it comes to health, uh, specifically public health in a pandemic like this. I don't think cheerleading is where you need to be. I think it needs to be more of a, a, a realistic reserve tone where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic we'll play, but we still have to get this thing under control. I feel like people can grab onto that where it's like, okay, you know, coach, I, he wants to play, but he understands that there are some, some issues that are standing in the way, not we're going to kick this thing in the teeth. It doesn't have teeth. And, and <laughs> yeah. Right. I, it's just, it's so strange. And then I, I agree with you too on the traveling thing. I just think it, it, it it's a bad look for one of the most notable coaches in, in sports period to be frivolously traveling like that. And I, I get the elite thing with the private jet. Um, and, and that just has a bad look on its own. But even just like in general, traveling across state lines, a place like Florida, which we all know, uh, they didn't have a very swift response um, early on. And yeah. now they're suffering with a lot of cases that's a bad deal. And, you know, it's it's the tale of two stories where Ed Orgeron is accompanying the governor of Louisiana in press conferences and he's making PSAs. And Dapp yeah. is saying, you know what, screw it, we're playing football and I'm going to travel right now. And then, not to get into this again on the show, it's going to be twice today, which is, you know, <laughs> what I love. But you got this cat. People are out of work, like you said. You know, students are kicked off campus, essentially. And I, I've got a question about that that I'll kind of get into after this. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that those students are, are struggling, some of them at home. And then here's a cat hopping on his jet. But then he'll turn around and say, student athletes shouldn't get paid this, that, and the third. Guys on a $100 million contract, basically. Right. And it's just so weird watching this all go down where it's like he's the most carefree man in the world right now. He lives in a completely different bubble than anybody else. Um, and it's kind of all manifesting. And I don't think it's a great look. Now, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to say, you know, it's a free country, he can travel, which I'm not going to dispute um, that it's a free country. And they're going to say that, um, you know, we might be making too much of this and whatever the case is. But I think that folks who are as famous and as notable and as as trustworthy to the world as one of the best football coaches in college football, you have a responsibility to lay low and to do the right thing like a lot of these other coaches are doing and say that you're going to stay home and you're worried about public health and not traveling. No, and that's the thing. I just, 
look, he's in a different position than than just the regular average Joe, right? And so if if you are flying on your private jet to Florida and you know you're abiding everything, whatever, I mean, the biggest thing to be is why are you coming out and saying it though? Right. Like, right. come on, bro. Like, let's just be smart about that part of it. Like, you're somebody who all these players look up to. Um, and one little inkling that shows, oh, yeah, well, he's doing it. He's traveling. That makes it okay. Then how many things do you – switches do you think you set off in these student-athletes' brains that are saying, well, it's okay if we go – if as long as we can do it privately or, you know, whatever and go down train in Florida. Like, you know, it's just – one little thing that makes it okay for the student athlete. I guess that's why I'm like, if at least if you're going to do it, just keep it quiet, you know, yeah. don't, don't broadcast it. And and that's kind of where I'm at too. Like, I, I don't want to sound like somebody who's trying to hate on rich people right now or somebody no. who, who thinks that he shouldn't be able to move freely. Like, I, I think the wise thing to do is to stay at home. If this man wants to travel, he surely can travel. And if he wants to use a private jet to do so, he, I'm not going to stop him, but I think it's it is tone deaf. It's out of touch, and it's inappropriate to publicize the fact that you're doing so um, in the state of affairs that we have currently. Now, uh, before we move on to the next topic, I wanted to kind of bring this up because I think relating back to student athletes being out of school and everything, it's it's salient. But uh, I haven't had the opportunity to ask anybody, and I'm going to ask. But I, I thought about this the other day. When I was in the shower, I was taking like a 45-minute shower, just contemplating the world and trying to come up with solutions for everything. But student-athletes, obviously, um, when they're on scholarship, part of their um, their scholarship is uh, their meals. And uh, part of their scholarship pays for their room and board. So if you live off campus, they send you a stipend so you can pay rent. And I'm, I know they're still uh, sending those stipends and so guys can pay rent, but I was really curious about the food aspect. And uh, part of it is that the guys are fed at the facility, so they don't necessarily have to spend their scholarship money anymore on meals, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but now these guys are at home and I know some of their families are struggling and some of their parents might have been laid off or furloughed or, or whatever the case is. And I'm, I'm wondering about the nutrition there. And then especially for the guys who were on meal plans who lived in the dorms, you know, Wendy's ain't accepting a meal plan back home. You know, the local Kroger's doesn't take the meal plan. And I'm, I'm very curious to how they're balancing that. And, and where that came from was Nick Saban uh, with the wearable technology to track the workouts and everything. I started mm-hmm. thinking about, okay, the workouts are big and it's cool that they're able to do that. But what about the nutrition and yeah. how are these cats eating? So, you know, we talk about issues and a lot of the same issues that that typical families are having where they're trying to figure out how they're going to put you know food on the table it's the same thing for student athletes who had to go back home you know a number of them come from these families that are probably struggling right now um and it's not even people that are typically struggling like everybody right now is is in a little bit of a different world so something unique i was thinking about but i was i was curious how they were handling that yeah i'd be curious as have you tried to search for any articles on that I'm going to talk to some of the guys that I know um, yeah, at Ohio you? State, and I'll, I'll let you know. I'll report back on that next week uh, because I, I, I do think that is like kind of one of those things that nobody's really thinking about, but it's a big issue. Yeah, no, and that'd be great if you did get more information. We could definitely discuss it here because um, these, these are the things that you don't think about right away but are definitely um, issues, so I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, we're going to – 
we're going to end our segment on a tweet that Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach put up this week and then took down pretty much a gif of a a woman knitting a noose saying um, something along the lines of this is how we all feel or this is how you know, women feel about their husbands right now during this COVID-19 quarantine. Clearly, you can see that that was politically incorrect. And he took it down and later apologized for it. But um, it seemed to have bothered some of his players as well. He just had a defensive lineman, Fabian Lovett, who entered the transfer portal two days later, who had already come out and um, said that he had an issue with that statement. I just think, here's the thing. Mike Leach is known for being quirky, for doing weird things, for saying weird things. And that's partly why um, we all like him and why, you know, he has so many followers and so on and so forth. But bro, you're not in the Pacific Northwest anymore where things can be forgotten about or just not talked about at all. You're in the SEC with a microscope that is just looking for anything in terms of content. And you just can't put that kind of stuff out there. We're in 2020. Yeah, it's unique too. I think it's twofold. Like you said, the microscope now is bigger um, just from the conference that he's working in. But I also think if he was still in the Pacific Northwest, that would have blown over just due to the the history there and the makeup, I think a little bit more. When you're in the South and especially a place like Mississippi where, you know, (laughs) your rival schools, literally the rebels, like that has some, some racial undertones and connotations along with it to begin with. That's something that won't fly. And and to me, understanding who Mike Leach is, understanding his sense of humor, and looking at the context of the meme that he posted, I don't think that's offensive. I personally am able to look the other way on that because I know his his intent was not to stoke racial tensions or harm anybody in that way. But I don't live in the South. I haven't lived in the South in years. And it's just different. And so... I think it comes with a level of awareness now and understanding where he's coaching and and who a lot of his student athletes are that like, you know, that meme is definitely off limits because the history of the South and lynchings and everything that goes along with that, whether you mean to be offensive or not, a lot of people are going to receive that in a hostile manner. I think it's just that. Like, I don't think he's a, a bad guy, but I, I think that he absolutely doesn't understand, um, number one, where he's at right now, and number two, kind of the history that, that runs deep with that, especially in a place like Mississippi. But, you know, I hope he's able to have a, a serious or has had a serious conversation um, with his team to kind of explain that. And I hope his athletes are able to receive what he's saying and understand that he's learning about what's going on because – um, yeah, and I'm a guy who has no tolerance or anything like that, but I'm also very understanding of the fact that not everything that has necessarily a racial undertone or connotation is meant to be racist, but it, it's just a terrible situation though. Yeah. It's just something like at this time, it's, it, I know that he wasn't deliberately trying to be that way, but again, you don't live up where a lot of people don't, you know, talk about or re up any of that stuff where it would just kind of 
go under the rug and not saying that, again, he meant to do it deliberately, but it, it it's in the South now. And that just is a warning for him, like going forward when there actually is a football season. Um, some of the things that he said when he was in the Northwest are not going to be taken the same as when he is now in the South. And um, we all know what happened to him at Texas Tech. And I don't agree with that situation either. A Craig James kid to me seemed like a punk. Um, if you did know what happened there, uh, he, he pretty much, you know, was fired from tech mm-hmm. um, because of this whole situation. But, you know, his actions are taken differently in different parts of the country. And now you're in the South where it's going to be magnified the most. So you just have to be careful that you're being a little bit more detailed when you're you're going out and tweeting out stuff during the football season. So that was interesting. Well, that does it for this episode of Press Pass. I know that you didn't have any questions this week, Joshua, but you did have some wise words to those out there during this stay at home kind of situation, yes. right? Yep. Um, I had to sound you? off. I had to sound off on sound Twitter off. Um, on Friday. Because uh, I, I live in a condo complex too, so I want to kind of paint the full picture here. But we have a bunch of different buildings. It's six units per building. Um, everybody kind of has their own front door and their own interior stairs if they, they have stairs in their condo. Um, we have garages, but um, there's a lot of shared common area. Um, mm-hmm. No shared hallways or anything like that, thankfully. But they yeah, had some neighbors who decided that they wanted to throw a driveway party. And um, I, I think that's really irresponsible. Obviously, they say keep social gatherings to a minimum and keep your distance, and they didn't either. And so I, I put out a tweet about it, and uh, the tweet was mostly met with uh, support, but there were also some folks who said it's a free country and you know it's their own private property, which is not not true in this case. It's it's the homeowner's private property collectively because we live in a condo. Right. So they don't own the, the driveways. They they don't even own the walls. They own the paint on the walls and everything outside of that belongs to the homeowners as a collective, um, just in case anybody need that education this morning. And I, I just, I, I think people need to be serious about this, especially if you live in a high density area um, or if you live around people who are at risk. And for us, a lot of folks in this community are at risk. There are a lot of young families that have young children, which the children all play together right now, which blows my mind. And we have a lot of older folks um, who have settled down into this community who are probably at a higher risk uh, if they become infected with COVID-19. And so I, I just, I think everybody wants to be social because that's what we need as humans and it helps us keep our sanity. But I also think that we need to think about the lives that we can save by keeping our distance. And if you want to sit, you know, it's, it's, it's really awesome what we can do here. Like everybody can sit in their own driveway. They'd be six feet apart. Sure. You know, you might have to yell a little bit, but we could all be social just by the setup we have here. That's an option. I think it's very responsible. It allows you to be social, but um, literally gathering together is not the way to do it. Um, but I was met with a tweet yesterday from a mother of one of the girls I coach in track and field. And she said that, eight or nine of the athletes got on a group FaceTime on Saturday uh, for a few hours. And so here we are, our high school students are more responsible than our adults. And so uh, my advice there is to, to follow the lead of our, our 17 and 18 year olds out there exactly. and keep your damn distance 
get on a Zoom call, get on FaceTime, whatever it is, but stop meeting up. I swear to you, we will be done with this sooner rather than later if we all just stop being together all the time. But if we can't do that, this thing is not gonna, it's not gonna get any better. So I yeah. had to go off on that tangent. I know it was like four minutes worth of content there, but holy moly, I had to get that off my chest. Yeah, no, I mean, sound off by Joshua Perry today made great point. Like he said, you guys just do it now so that this doesn't last for a whole year. Like it is not that hard. You have got to find some patience in, in this time. And there are ways to do everything and be socially connected via um, social media right now. And like you said, FaceTime, Zoom, those type of things. So let's just be smart about people. Let's um, help get this thing gone. And hopefully we can get back to doing what we love to do the most, whether that be sports or whatever you guys prefer. Well, that does it for this episode of Press Pass. Make sure that you go subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts. You just click on the subscribe button, give us a rate and review while you're there. You can follow us on Instagram at Press Pass Pod. You can also follow me on my social media platforms, um, Kayla Anderson TV on Instagram and Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter. And then to go follow Joshua, to send questions, I am highlighting that, send questions. <laughs> send them. Uh, where, where should they go? They can find me at RIP underscore JEP. Um, I've got some unique content coming out this week um, in terms of just talking to people, but also uh, within the next couple of weeks or so, I'm doing some stuff with Big Ten Network, doing kind of some draft profiles on some of the top prospects out of the Big Ten. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy that content, interact with it. Um, and then, like we said, send questions. I would love to answer them on the show. And I'll, of course, I'll hit you with the tweet back and a, a shout out. So uh, let's go ahead and get that popping. Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Thanks again, you guys, for everything. Uh, be safe this week. Take care of yourself. Let's take care of each other. And we'll be back here same place, same time next week. <laughs>